Welcome to First They Came for the Immigrants. Immigrants and asylum seekers are under attack in the U.S., and so is our democracy. In today's episode, our host Virginia Raymond speaks with Eduardo Canales of the South Texas Human Rights Center about their mission to end death and suffering on the Texas-Mexico border. And I'm honored to be here tonight with Mr. Eduardo Canales with the South Texas Human Rights Center uh, of Falfortius, Texas. And I'd just like to start right off by telling Mr. Canales, thank you for all the work that you have done thus far and ask you to tell us about how and when you started the South Texas Human Rights Center. Um, the, uh, the beginnings <clears throat> go back to, I think, late uh, 2012. <clears throat> That's a very critical year there in Brooks County. Um, there were some some uh, in, some individuals that were contacted in Houston, Texas. Um, a coalition that existed there, uh, Houston United, uh, uh, and then there was uh, uh, regarding the issue of migrant deaths that were happening uh, <clears throat> in uh, in Texas and South Texas. And you know what was what was the knowledge and what was going on. So, and this reflecting the shift, the the shift, you know, of the in the corridor from Arizona, California, to all of a sudden, you know, uh, a major shift into Texas. And 2012, <clears throat> alone in Brooks County, 130 bodies and remains were were recovered. <clears throat> so. Um, the issue became very, uh, the people that were in Houston, they formed the committee. The, the committee was <clears throat> the prevention of migrant, of uh, the prevention of migrant, uh, migrant deaths uh, co uh, working committee. Um, I, <clears throat> I, was, um, I was asked to join, uh, was called in by my <clears throat> former organizer friends and, and people that I've known over the years in terms of, you know, our, <clears throat> our our uh, struggles, you know, in in the political social justice arena. So <clears throat> they said, "Hey, Eddie, uh, you're, you know, I was I had I had moved to Texas and left my union organizing position <clears throat> with the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and came in to to do some work and I mean to take care of my my parents. Basically, my mom got real sick, so." So I, I was in Corpus, uh, still remaining active. Uh, I had uh, taken leave with with the uh, United Brotherhood of Carpenters, and and then I was, you know, I, taking care of my mother's affairs and doing some little work with the bus drivers and uh, the teachers, and and you know, staying actually, I was you know, did some some really. I think it was good work with the bus drivers here in Corpus, taking them out of an association and into, a, um, <clears throat> into an affiliation, a full-fledged local union. The work that I've done for years, <laughs> you know, so um, being a labor organizer, a union organizer, and and then so the call came through regarding, hey, Eddie, can you make contacts with people? You're from South Texas, you know, can you make contact with people? Uh, and help out, you know, Rafael Hernandez, who 
you know, is is going to go in and and seeing what's going on in in terms of the corridor, you know, in terms of the how how people um, are getting through. Eighty five percent of the migrant deaths and and you know and it's substantiated by the work over the last seven years. 85% of migrant deaths in the Rio Grande sector happened in Brooks County. And uh, the, the recovery of bodies, uh, uh, the missing people that go missing uh, in, in Brooks County. Brooks, you know, Brooks County is the, <clears throat> there's Hidalgo, which is a border county. And then you have uh, Brooks to the north of it. And there is a <clears throat> checkpoint in in Brooks County, about 85 miles from the border. It is a major, major uh, checkpoint in terms of, of traffic, transportation, commerce, uh, tourist, tourism, uh, you know, families, you know, back and forth, a lot of workers out of the valley, you know, work in, in refineries up in the Houston area. I know, being an organizer, with uh, United Brothers of Carpenters and knowing the, the scaffold work that took place in the Golden Triangle there, I was assigned for a little bit. But um, it is a major, major highway, 281. <clears throat> and people try to, uh, migrants try to circ circumvent that highway. And, um, you know, it's, it's treacherous, it is, <clears throat> dangerous it's hot uh you know right now you know we're we're have heat indexes above 110 you know <clears throat> in Falfurius and corpus but uh this is all you know uh semi-tropic area very you know brush very thick uh vegetation all private ranches all private um the majority is is a private rancher so when Rafael came in, you know, to see what was going on, a couple of things that he realized that was immediate, and <clears throat> in terms of the fact that um, um, there were burying people, there were burying people without taking the DNA, uh, and there is a state law. I mean, and and mind you, the the Prevention of Migrants Working Committee, you know went to work, uh, we were organizers, we were experienced community, you know, <clears throat> um, human rights advocates and knowing, you know, finding out what's going on there uh, in, in Brooks County where mo the majority of, of the bodies are being recovered. So um, all private ranches is one uh, scenario, one of the obstacles in terms of doing any type of search or any type of rescue effort, recovery effort, uh, you have to have permission to get in. Um, and, and then the, the other aspect, the forensic as, aspect that became, you know, a question and a, uh, a part of the center in terms of uh, the fact that they weren't taking uh, the DNA. So, uh, bodies had, had been sent to a mortuary in Mission, Texas. Um, no, you know, no DNA extracted and, and submitted to the state uh, at his, as it's called for, the statute calls for. 
It says basically the statue is saying that on encountering an unidentified human remain, you are to uh, uh, secure uh, uh, an autopsy and 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 uh, and our DNA sample and and refer that to um, the medical examiner, and and for the DNA to be submitted. And this is uh, the state of Texas in terms of. Of, of having the University of North Texas manages the National Human Identification Center. And, and they also by contract, um, uh, you know, manage the NamUs, which is National uh, Missing and Unidentified System. It is a system that, you know, if somebody goes missing after 72 hours, law enforcement, accesses that and puts you know the missing person's name person in, in as much information as can be gathered um that's how the and the then the unidentified side is where uh you know bodies recovered unidentified would naturally go into nameless um uh it's a voluntary system it's not a it's not a mandated system but the but the uh, uh but the law does uh, tell public officials that to to take a DNA sample and submit that to the the the, the University of North Texas, which which basically um, manages that and and enters that into as a reference sample into CODIS on a which is CODIS is the the big index on a national basis. So. Complicated. I mean, in terms of what's going on, is you know how uh, they're not fulfilling legal obligations, um, getting there, uh, doing you know, uh, uh, so doing public information requests to all the counties, you know, on their protocols and how they're handling the unidentified human remains, and. Um, you know, it's still it's it's a very pri it's a privatized system in the valley. Uh, Cameron County has a private forensic pathologist. Hidalgo has a private entity, and you know, and uh, Stark County, my my home county, I would say. I mean, all my family uh, is from that county, and in a real. A uh, small community on the other side of Roma, Texas, mm -hmm. um, and um, right on the river. So um, knowing that area, you know, there was it was why people reached out to me, knowing that you know, kind of had an idea of the area, and and we began that effort. I mean, there are people that are dying. I mean, we did a we did a press conference uh, in in Brooks County in front of the courthouse. County commissioners was in session, and you know, you know, it wouldn't answer the the information request regarding, you know, their the, their protocols. Um, there's a there there's a sheriff and there's a chief deputy at the time. That chief deputy is a, had thirty years experience with the Department of Public Safety, and and you know somebody not understanding what the law is, you know, <laughs> uh, in terms of burying bodies there in Brooks County, uh, sending bodies to a mortuary. And, you know, that 
that uh, in in it took us from uh, March of 2013 or uh, the initial uh, protest and venturing into Brooks County and then asking me and myself asking the wrong question with some friends you know of, of mine the provincial migrant death working committee hey uh, who's going to work on the ground <laughs> <laughs> I can see why that would be the wrong question. Good question. <laughs> exactly, Virginia. Um, you know, an organizer is is going to ask that question, and and say, "Well, you, Eddie, you know." <laughs> and my dear friend Maria Jimenez, um, you know, who you know I've worked with for years, and a human rights advocate. Um, she actually did a uh, was. Um, documenting human rights abuse and uh, island with the American Friends Service Committee, you know, from the get-go in terms of of the human rights abuse by law enforcement. And and to this day, I mean, it's to this day it continues. And to this day, you know, there's lack of documentation in terms of human rights abuses at borders. You know, that it doesn't, it doesn't mean you know, at the border doesn't mean you don't have any constitutional rights. You don't have any international human rights. You know, under under international covenants. Um, but that's the nature over the last 20, 25 years in terms of an enforcement only approach to immigration. You know, and and, and that you know, my, I say my roots. You know. You know, or we were talking the other day. My, my one of my, my one of my aunts and my mother's sister, you know, just turned eighty. We did a little get together, you know, trying to be as, you know, as cautious and everything. But she turned eighty, and we're talking, you know, that my grandfather would take me to, you know, tag along and a little toddler, and he was part of the, you know, the there were two parties: el Partido Nuevo y el Partido Viejo, uh-huh. and. and and then Partido uh, Viejo was the established conservative, you know, uh, entrenched Democratic Party because at that at that period the Democratic Party was was a one state party, you know, mm-hmm. but very conservative. And and then Partido Nuevo were people on the outside, you know, saying, "Hey, you're not serving governments, not serving us," you know, that type of thing. You're not doing, you know, you're just getting, you know, fat cats and and Stark County might. My my grandfather would just go crazy, uh, you know, in terms of a little bit of Salineños, a small little village there on the on the river, and you go up to the eighty three, which is the border highway, and and you, then you start seeing all these, you know, houses that are big mansions, haciendas popping up, and he'd just make make a, a noise and say, hmm. La marijuana, you know. So. <laughs> right, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, again, the the whole cultural thing, uh, you know, in terms of, it wasn't a big, uh, the the migrant stream wasn't as as you know as it hit, you know, as you get, you, you know, you get post, you know, uh, you know the seventies and people, the economies expanding, expanding in this country, and the need for labor. And and that's the the, the constant the constant uh, refrain that 
you know, labor is needed, but so why don't you allow, you know, create a system that gives labor mobility, you know, uh, so that there is no, there is no uh, uh, treacherous and no deterrence policy. You know, you're, you're creating the, the economies of scale, you know, industry, but you let people have mobility, labor mobility. Free trade agreements don't even deal with that. That's, you know, again, you know, in terms of the, the, the whole scheme uh, of, of exploiting cheap labor and continuing in terms of the whole farm worker sector, service sector, construction sector, all of that. And, and it can be fixed fairly, you know, you regularize, and that's what I'm saying. Labor mobility is regularizing people, essential workers. And that's, and that is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be, it can be, uh, people can come and go. And instead of being at the mercy of, you know, extreme conditions and, 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 uh, you know, that we have, uh, being the political football and, and, uh, becoming the stage for demagoguery that dominates our policy, you know, you know, and the demagoguery and, and, and racist and, and nativitous and it's, um, you know, and we're dealing with the consequences. We've got a humorized crisis with people. It doesn't matter the flow of people. The, the deaths remain constant, you know, in terms of the recovery of bodies that we've had in Brooks County. Mr. Canales, speaking of that treacherous land, why is Brooks County compared to, for instance, uh, Star County or Zapata or Willacy or Cameron, why is Brooks County so dangerous? Why is it a killer county? Well, again, I mean, it's got the major highway. 77, and you mentioned 77 on the other side. That is that is a, a highway that really goes, you know, um, goes through the King Ranch. Um, the King Ranch starts back there in Raymondville and goes all the way to Kingsville, you know, and 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 on on seventy seven. It it is not um, an area where, you know, over the over the last seven years that that you have that much traffic on that on that highway. There's a there's water uh, uh, every two miles, you know, in terms of because there's a lot of cattle and everything. Um, and I, I uh, don't understand the, the the complexity of that in terms of why, you know, and it's a small, small, much smaller checkpoint, you know, mm-hmm. uh, compared to the checkpoint right now. Have you have you been down there lately, Virginia? Yes. Yeah. It, I mean, it's well, not since February. I haven't been anywhere since <laughs> March tenth. But yeah. Well, good for you. And. Uh, uh, and, and I mean, it looks like a huge tarmac, and you know, in an airport, you know, in terms of the, the with the lights and everything, in terms of uh, the multi-million-dollar checkpoint. It's that is the biggest symbol of militarization in this country. Yeah. These checkpoints, you know, when people say, "Well, what is militarization? What are you What are you talking about?" You know, uh, you know, you're talking about historical you have actually you know um you know the border or the physical border and then you have the the checkpoints and you know in terms and and then you have the internal enforcement you know of 
you know, with, with 287G and as before, you know, the state of Texas, you know, perfected the police state against immigrants. Yeah. With all but, the laws that exist. What I don't understand, and maybe you can just help break it down a little bit, the, the roads and the checkpoints are very ferocious and intimidating, but the people who are dying in Brooks County are not necessarily the ones who are, you know, stopping at the checkpoint or being stopped at the checkpoint. They are people who have gotten out and are trying to make it through the brush on their own. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a, the, since the pandemic set in, uh, it, it had been uh, uh, traffic at, had been constant uh, people, but the, uh, the 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 encampments in Matamoros and in and, and in Eagle Pass. I mean, I saw a couple of them and and in Reynosa and some in, in Laredo where people stacked up. Mm-hmm. You know, where people on that side of the border, and then and then you impose you know the remain in Mexico uh, you know process, which is a sham, and you know so. And people wanted, and, and it really says people got in line, you know, says, you know how that the old saying is, well, well, people don't get in line and get your visa. Well, they got in line. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It's of no, of no consequence in terms of the way the system's set up and, and uh, very deliberate, very draconian, very, very brutal, very, very, and I would say, very, uh, you know, in terms of, of the effort to keep you know, uh, uh, immigrants from Central America and from Mexico and from all other parts of the world because it's it is a it winds up being a corridor for Africans, some you know people from Bangladesh, you know, uh, you know people that work their way through to, to South America and then work their way up. So it is you know Cameroon, you know Cameroon is uh, a, a large group. Uh, you know some Haitians were were bottled up there and and over so the pandemic when that was set in with public law 42 mm-hmm. you know in terms of expulsing expulsion of everybody it didn't stop the mexicanos no. it did not uh you know the it was less and less central americans but most mostly mexicanos over march may march april may june you know, we're dealing with that, you know, in terms of, and I was, I was handling the calls, you know, because, uh, you know, things had slowed down, you know, I'd laid off staff and, and um, the one, the one other person that was working with me. And uh, so it was, it was uh, um, mostly Mexicanos that were going missing. And after two days or, or, you know, I mean, the, 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 after two days, if I get a call and and it's a person, and I know that within two hours, or you know that they are they have escorted that person to the bridge, and you know and 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 uh, pushed him back out, you know then then if if he is uh, if he if he hasn't heard uh, called his family, then he's missing. Mm. You know, there's no, there's two, two ways about it, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the detention center, the detention center and putting people, running people through the, the regular, you know, system in terms of a private prison system and, 
and and you know in terms of this this situation was to keep people out yeah. you know and, and and virginia i don't know that that number i i know um it's up upwards to over a hundred thousand right and on on the whole border in terms of the, the expulsion oh uh, it's been huge it's 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 thousands and thousands of people i don't know if we even know the real number um exactly. <laughs> you know um because we have we have uh the metering came first and then remain in mexico and then there were the um what some people call deportation with a layover the uh, so-called asylum cooperative agreements where they would send a salvadoran back to guatemala or honduras and a honduran back to you know so all of those flights going out and then we have title 42 with um with covid but i want to get back to your specific work and um your you're answering the phone for the South Texas Human Rights Center. And that's part of the calls. Oh. The Mission Migrant Hotline, where we take calls mm-hmm. from people all over, from all over the country, and from and from Central American countries and from Mexico. You know, it's it um, of their of their loved one gone missing. You know, so it it you know to follow up and do a very preliminary type of investigation from from an NGO's perspective, from us, our perspective. Mm-hmm. How much does that family know of their track? How much? How much? How much? How much information do they know of the coyote, of the of the contractor? You know, how do they track this stuff? And 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 it's uh, and it's not very much. You know, and which is the most frustrating part because some people are are various uh you know on top of things in terms of following a, uh, a family member some people are they get caught off guard in terms of the family member showing up and then before you know it it's missed the person is missing and and trying to make them um m- m- connect the dots you know and 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 so that and at the end of the day, it's the coyote that knows where the guide knows where they left the person behind, and 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 uh, and there and there that becomes a big vacuum uh, because they they don't answer they they say this keep on repeating, and and now educating people and saying they're not holding anybody. They're not holding nobody. Right. Yeah. So people understand, you know, what do you, oh, I didn't know that. They didn't know that. Right. So that means that they're lost. If they do not know, you know, if he has not contacted them back, back and he was deported and stopped and taken to the bridge, he's lost. So I just want to clarify for people who, who might be listening. Um, when you say they're not holding anybody, you mean ICE. Uh, ICE, uh, you know, Border Patrol is not processing people to the point that to turn them over to ICE, mm-hmm. and and for ICE to process them into the into the system into the detention center, uh, the, the private detention center, you know, system so that they're holding them. You know, so, so like a year ago, if somebody called and say, "I'm trying to find my brother," I think he crossed at Reynosa. 
you know, three days ago, but I haven't heard from him. Your process would have been different a year ago. My, my practice would have been a, a different in terms of, of doing a query with Border Patrol in terms of our our uh, relationships with Border Patrol because after, when I first started in Panfurras and uh, getting all these calls and going to the station, I said, here, I, I need to know whether these 15 people have, are in detention. Were they detained or were, are they still missing, right? So that's, a, that's the process because Border Patrol would hold them and they would hold them and then would process them and, and then they would send them to different detention centers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a business. We, we keep on forgetting it's a corporate uh, private prison system business. You know, and they, they were making a lot of money and so um, that's, you know, so people had the hope that they were being held. Uh, you know, uh, if I told them, yes, you, we encountered, they were encountered, they were apprehended, uh, and, and that was relief for people. So then that they would, then they would have to call the, the consulates to find out in what detention center, because I haven't, I haven't been able to force Border Patrol to tell me. Okay, what time did you apprehend him? Where did you apprehend him? And which agents uh, from what area of responsibility? And where did you send? Uh, but but you know they they uh, you know they hold them and they won't provide that because I'm I'm not government. I'm an NGO. So did they? But did they at least tell you whether or not they that they had apprehended somebody fitting that description or not a year ago? Uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. Well, so, so let's say a year ago, before COVID and everything, uh -huh. uh, when you would go to the border patrol and say, "These are 15 people. We're trying to find them." Would they tell you whether or not they had arrested those any of those people? Or yeah, they'd tell me that that they had an encounter, the latest encounter, you know, with border patrol, and there was they were apprehended. So some they're in the system. Okay, they're already there in the system. And which is relief for the families, uh -huh. right? So if they're not in the system, then 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 we have to figure out more with the families in terms of where where he was left behind. A lot of these people are with cell phones, you know. They're tracking people, and location services, you know, tracks people, but not enough. And you know, in terms of, and then the nine one one calls doesn't necessarily go in in into the dispatches of the different counties it kind of that's a system that does need uh uh upgrade on technology in terms of making sure that uh people do reach a 911 and that there is coordinates and there they will talk to somebody and say I'm a migrant I want to be rescued mm -hmm. and and then they're referred to border patrol right and border patrol will go and 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 respond to those 911 calls. John Carlos Frey did that uh, picture. Did you see that, Virginia? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So because because uh, uh, one of the, the the agent that I started the Missing Migrants program was in a meeting, and a big rancher where I have 25 water stations is asking the super, the supervisors of Border Patrol and saying. Why didn't you answer the phone? Why didn't you go, you know, and answer that 911? Well, why not? You know, what, you know, because 
he believes in that system and that to save lives. If you're a rancher and this rancher has seen a recovery of over a hundred bodies and remains in that one ranch over a decade and a half, he's going to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And because he, he's concerned with, I mean, he's seen so much death and, and I mean, you know, I mean, he's humanitarian, he may, may be conservative, but he's humanitarian. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that building those relationships with some of these ranchers does take, you know, that effort, the humanitarian effort, and this is humanitarian work in terms of water and leaving water and trying to save lives, people do get it. Mm-hmm. Some people don't get it, but but ranchers, you know, uh, I wish I had more in ranches and, uh, and, you know, trying to do a more deliberate effort, you know, in terms of reaching out to, uh, and I did, but before COVID set in, mm-hmm. in terms of one of the county commissioners he was ready to to introduce me to some other people so that especially in the areas where where I know people are going to come through and how we can uh, maximize water stations you know we we form uh, the you know as a regard as a, as a result of the missing migrants hotline the water stations that we have and and on the forensic end and working with the we're part of the, the center is part of the forensic border coalition mm-hmm. where, which is um, the Argentine uh, forensic anthropology team out of, you know, Buenos Aires. I mean, they're international renowned. They have an office in Mexico city and one in New York, Texas, Texas state university, uh, the forensic anthropology center at Texas state, Dr. Kate Bradley with operation identification in terms of uh, us doing and collaborate collaboratively um, uh, exhumations in um, we've done seven counties uh, and reached reached out to some cemeteries where we know or research that people the unidentified were buried. So the unidentified is is the the effort of the operation. Uh, identification and our exclamation project is to reach those those plots where the unidentified were buried so that we can exhume them take DNA take them back to the Texas State Lab and there's been 38 39 um, uh, identifications made which is really phenomenal uh, considering you know the effort Texas uh, Dr. Spradley's probably got over 225 bodies that we have taken out of Brooks County Cemetery alone. Wow. Uh, and and analyzing and getting the DNA in, and uh, she, her program is phenomenal. Uh, we're going to be on a panel on the 10th um, there from Texas State. That Jason Reed, do you know Jason Reed? Um, I don't. He, he's a photographer. He, he teaches for, he's a instructor there at, at Texas State. Um, uh, they've done uh, some exhibits in San Antonio and, and um, pretty good guy. He, he, he brought a whole bunch of students through before he was there before. Um, so the exhumation project, uh, there's, there is a lacking of, um, 
you know, forensic protocols in terms of when you have a privatization over here, privatization in Hidalgo County, uh, we were, we were uh, hoping this last legislative session that Hidalgo County had made the threshold um, in population wise to set up a medical examiner's office. Uh, somebody uh, special interest, instead of 1 million, they raised the threshold to 2 million. So <laughs> somewhere up north, right? So, uh, so they prevented from a medical examiner's office to be set mm -hmm. up. Wow. Uh, in, um, it took, uh, it, and let me say this, that what our big win, the big, the center, after making relationships with various ranchers and public officials uh, from, from the, in 2013, um, it took us about six months in August of 2013, I presented to the county commissioner's uh, court uh, regarding changing the practice of, of sending the bodies to a, a mortuary uh, where they were, had been sending the bodies and sending the bodies to the medical examiners in, in uh, Webb County in Laredo, mm -hmm. Dr. Corrine Stern. Mm -hmm. uh, she's not the most collaborative person in the world. Uh, and and I'm being, that's an understatement. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she does her job and, and bodies are processed how they should be processed in terms of uh, you know DNA submitted and being being at University of North Texas um, um, that um, in terms of CODIS, which is you know to the state, never did they ever imagine that there would be this, these number of uh, uh, immigrant bodies in the corridor. The difference between Arizona and Texas is that Arizona does have an ME system mm -hmm. and all the bodies are, are centralized at Pima County uh, uh, Medical Examiner's Office in Tucson and one of incredible people there. And the, the other person, the other entity that's part of our forensic border coalitions. Mr. Canales, how do you explain why up until people started making noise around 2012, 2013, they were not following the law. They were not giving people a proper burial. They were not reporting them as identified. And I guess the, related to that is why is the FBI opposed to sharing information? Normally, these these um, law enforcement agencies want the more cooperation, the better with as many sources of information as they can. It I don't understand either of those uh, resistance either at the county level or at the, the, national, national, level. the national Institute of Justice um, is the one that does own uh, NAMAS and 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 the National uh, Human Identification Center. They let those out. I mean, we've had all those discussions, you know, for six, seven years, and it became a, a always a moving target in terms of uh, you know the the. the you know, the signature from the donor knowing that it's going to be shared, you know, in terms of the consent forms and all this stuff. Um, it, I don't, 
understand the political uh, um, hesitation. You know, is it because you don't want to? You don't want to uh, know how many people are dying at the border. Uh, I mean, certainly, is it is a the number that exists right now. For everyone recovered, you know, I would say there's two more or three more. So, you know, we, we're talking, and that you know, we're that we're talking about probably over twenty thousand people, twenty-one thousand people in the whole southwest border that have perished, and where the number reflected at is you know seven thousand, you know, the official number. So uh, nobody's out there uh, re searching and recovering remains and bodies and then continuing to investigate. And, and then you have the policy of, uh, of prevention by deterrence that creates, you know, it does create, you know, um, extra judicial, you know, you know uh, deaths by the state, you know, in terms of violence by the state violence and state, you know, in terms of of the policies and in, 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 uh, the policies creating death, you know, so it's death by policy in terms of how um, it's tragic to see people uh, lose their lives, you know, just because they're disoriented and they lose all their fluids and and they lack water and hope, you know, we're trying to do our best in terms of trying to mitigate and prevent deaths. Is it mostly dehydration that kills people? Yeah. So tell there, me about your just their system shut down, right? I mean, without water. Yeah. And and uh <clears throat> there's uh you know, and I, I have two or three mothers that call me on a regular basis if if I have any news in terms of finding their 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 sons. Uh, it's, uh, it's sad, you know, but we do make the earnest, earnest effort to try to, you know, a woman from Nicaragua, you know, um, uh, her son disappeared and we've looked in two or three ranches and, and we haven't, you know, found a trace of anything. It's hard really in terms of, 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 uh, you know, working it very methodically through the brush, you know, in terms of how we recover, you know, you know, skeletal remains or in our, our bodies. But uh, we've had some successes and, you know, I'm trying to figure out how, what's the next steps, you know, in terms of, uh, I think, you know, trying to move all the, the bodies be, go to, to uh, Hidalgo County makes sense because the, the consulates are there. Mm -hmm. uh, consulates are, are uh, understaffed. Uh, some of them are, some of them have a political, it's just a little political appointment in the U.S. Uh, there's a big shift. Uh, the new president of El Salvador just wiped out a whole bunch of people that, that I had strong, strong, you know, working relationships. Relation because they came from human rights orientation, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, gone, um, you know, in terms of where uh, you, Guatemala the same, um, Honduras is the most difficult one really to deal with. 
Um, and there's a Mexican consulate also in McAllen? Yes. Mm -hmm. One in McAllen, one in, one in uh, 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 Brownsville, and one in Laredo. Uh, and they're also one in Eagle Pass. I think that Mexican has like 16 or has a lot of consulates in Texas, but um, yeah. But I, Honduras, I've never had them answer the phone ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I've had more luck with the others. So let me let me shift to the other part of your work, the uh, the preventive side, the water drop offs. Tell me how that works, and uh, where do you drop off the water, and how do you get permission to do that? Uh, we we have a lot of we have uh, probably about ten routes. Um, you know, the, one of the major routes uh, is from um, San Manuel, right there, Lynn, uh, the northern part of of uh, of, uh, of uh, Hidalgo, uh, people are dropped off 53 miles away and told that Houston is only two hours away. And <clears throat> that, that um, 1017 that goes all the way, all the way around and, you know, through La Gloria, San Isidro, all through, where, all through there and uh, all the way to Hebron. You know, so... Uh, We've, uh, it's, you know, and, and it's, a. you're thinking about where people are coming through or, or people are being staged, right? So once they cross the river, they go to a safe house and then they're going to come to an entry point in the brush to where they, to circumvent the checkpoint and then be picked up in a road beyond the checkpoint like 285 west 285 east you know so we have water stations before in the middle and afterwards so uh you know in terms of getting a sense of where and and in and around brooks county i need to i need to be over there in del rio i need to be in you know in in uh, those counties over there in webb county <clears throat> um there's an area right there between Eagle Pass and Laredo called Indio Highway, a very isolated area, uh, um, and very difficult to, to put a water station, um, uh, very rocky, very harsh, you know, so it is, um, I did uh, 30 new water stations uh, before the summer hit, um, and uh, 25 going and then 77 um, and then and some of the ranches I've, I've wound up putting up some more some more water stations uh, and on also on 285 but you can never have enough water station on, on, on that note mr. Canales I think you are clearly saving lives with these water stations how can people support your work the work of the South Texas Human Rights Center uh, we are, uh, we have a Facebook page and we also have a website. Um, uh, the website needs, needs a lot of work, but, our, uh, South Texas human rights there, you can reach out to us there, uh, make a donation through there. You can leave me a message. If you want to volunteer. Mr. Canales, thank you so much. I've learned so much from you and I uh, hope to talk to you again. You've been listening to first. They came for the immigrants, a new podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts 
and be sure to give us a rating and review which helps people find the podcast. Our audio was produced by Avi Hurwitz, who also performed the music at the introduction to the podcast. Outro music by progressive social justice rock band Swerve Left. Find us on Facebook and be sure to like us and follow us there. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Let's go.